0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Peng Junyi about his new book, Mediatized Taiwanese Mandarin Popular Culture, Masculinity, and Social Perceptions. This book was published by Springer in 2021 and is part of the Springer, Sinophone, and Taiwan Study book series. Dr. Pong, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, everyone, and thank you, Li Ping, for the introduction.
1: Thank you, Jing Yi. So, uh, first of all, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself and your research.
2: Okay, sure. Um, so I am now a associate professor of Chinese at the City University of New York. Um, I received my PhD in linguistics also from the City University of New York, where I was working on uh, mediatized Taiwanese Mandarin, and then, which is how uh, Taiwanese Mandarin is perceived by Chinese mainlanders and what kind of social perceptions that people in China have about our Mandarin and then how uh, those so, uh, social perceptions formulated over time
1: sounds good and sounds uh, exactly about what we are uh, the the topic of the book today and i'm looking forward to talk more uh, later on during their interview but uh, before we uh, zoom in in the book um, how do you started this project can you share with us some of the uh, behind the scenes story
2: yeah sure definitely so the project started actually very very long time ago um so Uh, In my senior year in college, I had this opportunity to study abroad in Australia, where for the first time I encountered a lot of Chinese students from mainland China. And then whenever I talked to them, they always told me that you have this like very special accent, right? And then um, so for someone who grew up in Taiwan, I was never aware that I actually had an accent because we always take accent for granted, especially if you grew up in a... A uh, relatively homogenous environment. You feel like a, the way that you talk is considered a standard. Um, and then so growing up in Taiwan, I never had this perception or awareness um, that I s- actually speak Mandarin with an accent uh, until I had this encounter with those Chinese students from China in Australia. And what they constantly what they constantly taught me was: oh, you have this accent from you know like the TV like the guys on TV. And then, and then, so that really made me thinking, so what exactly does that mean to sound like the guy on the TV? Right. And then, so they watch a lot of Taiwanese uh, dramas and then, but they, they had very, very little face to face interaction with real Taiwanese people. And then, um, but at the time I didn't have any linguistic trainings. Um, I was only an undergrad student. I, I knew so little about linguistics. And then, so I was just, very curious what they actually meant by I sounded like a guy on TV. And then I had this so-called uh, accent, right? And then so, uh, so that was where everything started. And then after that, um, I went into graduate school for linguistics because language has always been my, my passion ever since I was in college. And then so I decided to go into graduate school uh, to study linguistics to become a professional linguist. Um, so while I was in the master's program, um, I started to, to think about this question, right? So what exactly do they mean by having this chang And then what exactly is the accent that I have, uh, you know, for someone who, were, who, was not, who was never aware that I had an own accent? And I was very curious what exactly did they hear? from me? And then what are the things that trigger this kind of perception that uh, that I sounded like the guy on TV? And then, so in in my master's program, I, I, I kind of studied the, the syntactic, the grammatical differences between how we use Mandarin in Taiwan and then how they, uh, they use Mandarin on the mainland. And then over time, it was developing be- the project developed over time and it, it became a bigger and bigger and a bigger project. And then so I carry over this project into my PhD program and I continue to study this. And then so um so when I was in the PhD program, I look at it not only from the linguistic, the language perspective, I also look at it from the sociological perspective. I wanted to know how people actually formulate this kind of perception and then and then what are the things that actually trigger this kind of sociological perception uh, and, then, and then eventually turn into this kind of Tai uh, or Taiwan that we constantly talk about. So that was kind of the story where uh, everything started and how that developed into a, a PhD dissertation and later on this book project.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for sharing with us the story from the uh, what you are being uh, considered as the uh, so-called the guy on TV uh-huh, um, yeah. by the Chinese <laughs> students, and later on developing, and also on your graduate studies and your research, and later on now into a book. And I think this is definitely uh, you touch upon this a very uh, important. Um, Circulation, but also perception of popular culture and also cultural production in uh, cross-strait situation, Taiwan and China as well. So uh, to uh, now, to uh, I guess first thing first now what is Gang Tai And then you mentioned that this is the Hong Kong, Taiwan accent. But uh, I was wondering, can you talk more about what is Gang Tai And if possible, Yi, can you demonstrate uh, the uh, accent uh, for our listeners? Okay, sure.
2: Uh, so in my book, I really talk a lot about Gang Tai because that is like the main focus of the book. And then, so my main argument for the book is that um, Gang Tai is not actually uh, a a real speech pattern is really how people perceive Taiwanese Mandarin uh, through mass media. So if a Chinese person watched a lot of Taiwanese TV shows and then but then they never had the opportunity to encounter or to to have this face-to-face interaction with actual Taiwanese people, and then so they would formulate uh, this like perception or stereotypes in their mind that oh, this is how. Taiwanese people talk. And then this is what I refer to as Gang Tai Chang. Because whenever when I first heard this term, I was very curious because I know that people in Hong Kong talk very differently from people in Taiwan, right? And then so we speak Taiwanese then Haka, and Hakka and a lot of other, you know, local Taiwanese languages. And then in Hong Kong, they speak mostly Cantonese. And then so the accent that they have when speaking Mandarin uh, in Hong Kong is so much different from the accent that we have when we speak Mandarin in Taiwan. So I, when I first heard this term, I was very curious. So what exactly does that mean? Is that the accent from Hong Kong or is that the accent from Taiwan. Um, And then so that is, you know, where I started to think about all this kind of language perception and media stuff. And then so I started to do a little bit of research, I want to find out where exactly does this term come from. And then so then I talked to a lot of people, a lot of my Chinese friends from mainland China, and then asked them, so like, how, what exactly do you mean when you say Gang Chiang? Do you mean the accent from Taiwan or do you mean the accent from Hong Kong? And then later on, I realized in the 70s, when a lot of the TV shows or movies from Hong Kong went into mainland China, those TV shows and movies were actually dubbed in Taiwan. And then so for Chinese people who do not have much exposure to, to Taiwanese or Hong Kong people, they would have this perception that, oh, they all talk very alike because everything from Hong Kong was stopped in Taiwan when they entered uh, the, the Chinese market. And then so for the Chinese audience, Taiwanese people and Hong Kong people actually sound the same because everything that they see on the TV uh, is stopped pretty much by the same group of people right and then so that is why they they later on developed this perception that oh people from Hong Kong and Taiwan all have this same kind of speech patterns and then that is late like, and then so that is what they perceived as uh Tai but it's actually not a real speech pattern or an actual accent that people use to talk. It is what I call a mediatized variety of Mandarin. So this is a stereotype or the social perception that Chinese people formulated uh, through the lens of media.
1: Sounds good. And specifically, uh, you unpack this uh, very interesting uh, dimension in terms of why the Taiwanese Mandarin and Hong Kong, uh, the Gang tai Uh, are sort of like collectively referred to as Gang Tai Chiang, even though you briefly mentioned there's like so many differences, right? Like uh, the Chinese Mandarin and Hong Kong, the uh, uh, Cantonese uh, in Hong Kong is uh, very different uh, linguistically. So so regardless of this difference, you mentioned that it is because of the practice or the strategy of dubbing, in the uh, public culture, especially in TV and films, so on and so forth, uh, those uh, cultural products, they are dubbed uh, in Taiwan and circulated in China. And that's why uh, you mentioned the uh, Chinese people, they understand uh, this kind of like speech pattern as tai so that's why Chinese Mandarin and Hong Kong uh, languages are sort of collectively referred together. So, this is the um, Gang Tai chang. And uh, so, uh, I was wondering that uh, in your book, you also mentioned about Taiwan Chiang as well. So, you mentioned we just talked about Gang Tai Chang and um, the, uh, in different chapters and different sections, you also mentioned uh, Taiwan Chiang. So, I was wondering, can you talk more about what is Taiwan Chang? And how does Taiwan Chang differ from the Gang Tai Chang, Or um, is um, um, Taiwan Chang and Taiwanese Mandarin, they are the same or they are different?
2: Mm, Those are very good questions. Thank you, Li Ping. Um, so, so I think Taiwan Chang and Gang Tai Chang essentially are the same thing. Um, they are really just the social perception or the stereotypes of how Taiwan and Hong Kong people talk. Um, through the lens of media, and then, but then, you know, in the 70s, Chinese people do, did not have a lot of exposure to, uh, to the outside world. That was when the China just opened up its door to the outside world. So at the time, everything, all the information that they received was from the media. Right. And then so they didn't have this kind of understanding like, oh, Taiwan is really different from Hong Kong. They have very different speech styles and then they speak different dialects and all that. So those things were not very aware, were not known to many Chinese people at the time. But later on, as you know, Taiwanese Mandarin is... Uh, increasingly recognized as a distinct variety of Mandarin, when the people realize, oh, there is actually a very big difference between the way that people talk in Taiwan and the way that people talk in Hong Kong, um, people start to realize that uh, the, the speech patterns in Hong Kong and Taiwan are actually very, very different. So then they start to call this Gang Tai Chiang uh Taiwan Chang instead because they know they now know that this is actually a speech pattern or the um a speech style that is unique to Taiwanese people only but not to people in Hong Kong. And then so that's why they started to call this accent uh Taiwan Chiang. Uh, and with the with the emergence of you know this new term Taiwan Chang, uh people give this term, I think, very slightly different social meanings. And then so when we used to talk about Gang Tai Chiang like 10 or 20 years ago, uh, Gang Tai Chiang was perceived as being very cosmopolitan. It was very like business-like and that it has a verb, uh, urban lifestyle attached to it. But then when people talk about Taiwan Chiang, it is a very different perception from Gang Tai Chiang. Um, so people get a lot of this Taiwan Chiang from a lot of our um, idol dramas, right? So for example, the most well-known one is Material Garden, Liu Xinghua Yuan. And then so that is when this this accent was really known to the Taiwanese people, or to sorry, to the Chinese people as uh, Taiwan chang And then so uh, so so this accent, uh, Taiwan chang is perceived more as like this very cutesy, a feminine and also uh, polite, friendly kind of way. So it is no longer how it was perceived thirty years ago. As people would tell you that Chang sounds very cosmopolitan, urban, and, and and nice. But then for Taiwan Chang, it's more like you know, it's very cute, it's very feminine, and it, it's very like babyish on the other side of the spectrum. And then so. Although they are essentially the same thing, they are all the stereotypes that Chinese people have about how Taiwanese people talk through the uh, through the lens of media, but that they have been given very different social perceptions, and those perceptions uh, came from very different social contexts as well.
1: Yeah, and then thank you especially for... Uh Unpacking this uh, development of this kind of uh, uh, linguistic category of uh, "gang tai chang" or "Taiwan chang," and especially you mentioned this uh, understanding, the changing understanding, and even the different imagination and stereotypes of "Taiwan chang" through different uh, uh, moments in our contemporary era. So. Um, now, um, so uh, I guess now I will focus my question on specifically on Taiwanese Mandarin. And then you mentioned that it's, a, it's a, a now reco- recognized a particular a variety of Mandarin and Taiwanese Mandarin. So, um, Jingyi, do you want to uh, speak briefly in Taiwanese Mandarin so uh, our uh, listeners can get a taste uh, about what Taiwanese Mandarin sounds like?
2: Okay, uh, so do you want me to talk in Mandarin now? Uh, yes. Okay, sure. Uh, so, in Taiwan, it's a lot of those to say this. And sometimes, when we talk uh, in our Mandarin, we say, how how oh, Really? Like Really, really salient uh, to to the Chinese mainlanders, and then whenever you speak like that, they'll be like, "Oh, this is very Taiwanese," and then so that is really the like the perception of Taiwanese Mandarin, and then also like I said, um, Taiwanese Mandarin is um, it, so so. Chan is only represents part of Taiwanese Mandarin, right? Because Taiwanese Mandarin is also a very broad way of speaking because if you're from Taipei you're from Kaohsiung or you're from you know from Taichung and those those different cities have different their own regional varieties of Mandarin as well so what exactly is Taiwanese Mandarin right and then so even the term Taiwanese Mandarin cannot really cover all the different ways of talking uh, of people in Taiwan and then so uh, but the Taiwanese Mandarin, when, ling- when linguists talk about Taiwanese Mandarin, we try to focus on the, the actual features that the majority of Taiwanese people use uh, in their daily life speech. Uh, so here are some examples. Uh, so like I said previously, uh, the, the sentence final particles are some of the very salient features of Taiwanese Mandarin and then what is also common to Taiwanese Mandarin is the drop of er sound, right? And then, so if you are familiar with Beijing Mandarin, uh, they have a lot of the er sound um, at the end, uh, not just at the end of the phrase or sentence, but also they do the zhu, shi, sound very salient um, in a very salient way. Whereas uh, in Taiwanese Mandarin, sometimes lao shi, lao you know, it's a, it's, we don't make this, we don't make it, we don't really make an effort to make this distinction between zhi, chi, shi, and zhi, chi, si, those sounds. And then, so those are something considered a very unique feature of Taiwanese Mandarin. Although a lot of southern uh, Chinese speakers also use these kind of features, uh, they don't, they, they drop the r's as well, but then Whenever people hear uh, this drop of er sound, uh, they usually associate that uh, with Taiwanese Mandarin. Um, and then another feature that we hear a lot is the, the N and the N-G sound. So 学生, 学生, and 学生, right? And then so in Taiwanese Mandarin, right. we always say 学生 a lot. Uh, but then in, in standard uh, Mandarin or the Beijing Mandarin, so to speak, uh, you would say 学生. Right, so you will make this ng sound more salient than people would in Taiwanese Mandarin, and then so the the nasal how we produce the nasal sounds uh, is also different from uh, standard uh, Mandarin in Beijing. Uh, also, there uh, we have this tendency to replace uh, all the neutral tones with four tones. Right, so instead of saying 学生. We would say 学生, right? So we do we 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 drop a lot of the neutral tones, and then instead we would use uh, a a regular tone instead. So instead of saying yo we would say yo Also, we use the third tone to replace the, the neutral tone. So so those are all very uh, salient and phonological features of Taiwanese Mandarin. And syntactic wise, one of the very well known feature of uh, Taiwanese Mandarin is the use of Yo, right? And then, so we have this tendency in Taiwanese Mandarin to use yo as an aspect marker, which means we would say, uh, 我有看过这部电影, or 我有吃过这道菜. Uh, so that means uh, I had this experience before. So as the uh, markers of completion, uh, of an action, but in standard Mandarin, w- this is not a grammatical feature for many of people from northern part of China, and then, so they will always tell you, 我没吃过这道菜, or 我没看过这部电影, or, 我吃过了, 我看过了这部电影. They wouldn't even use 有啊 uh, in their sentence as a um, marker of completion. Uh, but then that feature is so common in Taiwanese Mandarin and also in a lot of Southern varieties of Mandarin uh, because many Southern dialogues of Chinese, such as um, Taiwanese, Hakka, Cantonese, they all have this yo feature in their dialogue. And then so when we speak Mandarin, um, there is this tendency that the, the, the feature will transfer into the way that we speak Mandarin. And then so we get a lot of those features actually uh, from Taiwanese and from Hakka because those are the, the two most spoken uh, local vernaculars here in Taiwan. Uh, so, so when we speak Mandarin, a lot of those features would uh, automatically transfer into the way that we speak Mandarin. Uh, so those are some of the very common features um, observed by linguists. Um, but then obviously, Uh, not everybody use those features, right? And then so it is really just um, statistically, we found that a lot of people would have those features in their speech. And then we refer to those features collectively as Taiwanese Mandarin. But then again, when people say Taiwan-Qiang or Gang Tai-Qiang, that is a social stereotype about Taiwanese Mandarin. But again, that is not the actual way That people talk.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for um, sharing with us the different features of Taiwan Chang and also the comparison as well, the Taiwanese Mandarin and also the uh, Beijing Mandarin. And then um, in this, like five different features, and specifically, I appreciate you mentioned that uh, there's this diversity. There's a differences within the. Uh, Taiwanese Mandarin itself, especially when we think about the um, multi-ethnic uh, society that different uh, communities they actually uh, speak Mandarin's, uh one way or another differently as well. So I appreciate you mentioned the uh, point of diversity, even though now we sort of seem to talk about uh, Taiwanese Mandarin as one um Uh, linguistic category, but uh, yes, there are some uh, diversities and differences within this group. And uh, so now, um, so... Now we'll be moving on to the Taiwanese Mandarin and especially thinking about Taiwanese Mandarin, the development, the practices of Taiwanese Mandarin in historical views. That is, you know, from the nationalist government, they moved to Taiwan and all this uh, uh, Sinocentric uh, uh, regime, but specifically about linguistic uh, policies and also Mandarin education in Taiwan. From uh, they move here, I mean, moved to Taiwan, and then from the fifties, and um, so I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about how is uh, Taiwanese Mandarin evolving, and especially from this uh, nationalist uh, uh, strategy for education and promotion, and uh, now to nowadays? Sure.
2: Um, so, as we all know, after World War II, um, the, the, the 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 Nationalist Party moved to Taiwan. And then uh, they wanted to to take control of the island. And then, so at the time, um, there were a lot of different, there were some different dialects spoken on the island, right? And then there were Taiwanese, there were Hakka, and then there were some Japanese also. And then so for the sake of communication, they want to uh, promote uh, the use of Mandarin throughout the island. And then so they made this rule that everybody at school should speak Mandarin only. Uh, with this Mandarin-only policy, uh, so a lot of people would speak their home can only speak their home dialect, which is you know Taiwanese or Hakka, at home, uh, and then when they come to school, they all have to use um, Mandarin. And then so this is a very typical typical case of what we called uh, language contact. So language contact is when two languages are spoken. At the same place by the same group of people, right? And then so what happened in language contact is one language will have an effect on the other. That is a very obvious uh, outcomes of you know language contact. And then so so very naturally, a lot of people carry their um their whole the way that they speak can, um, Taiwanese and Hakka over into the way that they speak Mandarin, right? And then so with this language contact. Uh, we had a lot of. There were a lot of new features coming into uh, the Taiwanese Mandarin, and then at the time we were not also not allowed to have any sort of contact with mainland China, and then so after the separation for fifty years. Uh, a uh, mainland Mandarin and Taiwanese Mandarin just like diverged in their own way, and then developed their own ways of speech and own ways of like features and how how they use different you know phonological and syntactic uh, features, uh, and then so that it was sort of like the this historical development of Taiwanese Mandarin, and then more and more. Uh, we got this like influence of from Japan, right? Because we used to be the Japanese colony, and then so in a lot of ways we adopted this kind of Japanese like cuteness or very uh, feminine kind of a speech style in popular culture, and then people think, oh, that is such a w- cute way of talking, and then so people associate a lot of those features with. Femininity, right? And then, so a lot of girls want to sound cute uh, on, you know, on social media uh, or on TV. And then, so they would pick up those like Japanese kind of like cute features in um, in the way that they speak Mandarin. And then, so, so, so more and more, uh, those kind of like cutie, feminine kind of style go into. The way that we speak Mandarin over time, and then so now it becomes this kind of what Chinese people call a very cute and you know feminine way of talking. Uh, so that was uh, that was like a really really brief introduction of how uh, Taiwanese Mandarin evolved over the last fifty years when the uh, Nationalist Party brought the language to Taiwan, and then how they interact with the local languages first. And then later on, um, people pick up the speech style from, from Japan in popular culture. And then that the way you know, Mandarin was spoken is now uh, developed into the way that we hear uh, on TV these days.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS?
1: Yeah thank you Jingyi and especially appreciate uh, you mentioned that there this kind of like, uh, localization right like localization of um Mandarin. Uh, one way is this kind of linguistic linguistically linguistically localized uh, i just want to highlight the example you mentioned earlier in terms of Yo, right? So um, sometimes this kind of inclusion of yo uh, is uh, one way or another might be influenced by the Taiwanese Hokkien use of the language, and it's sort of kind of like mixed in the uh, Mandarin uh, speaking as well. And another uh, trajectory you also briefly mentioned is this kind of localization. Uh, uh, in relation to Taiwan's history of uh, serial colonization, as well the Japanese influence, and also the I mean the nationalist government, the kind of like Chinese uh, ideology in the linguistic uh, education and performance. And lastly, you mentioned this uh, kind of cutified, right? The kind of cutified. A um, uh, uh, trend of uh, Mandarin, and then, so these are the two uh, major uh, um, dimension that you mentioned about the involvement, uh, evolution of Chinese Mandarin. So, uh, with that said, and also to think about, you know, from the '50s to nowadays, uh, you know, the language is evolving, right? And also to uh, the, my question will be about the uh, perception as well, the perception of about this language in, uh, you know, changing and also involving. So how has the Taiwanese Mandarin acquired uh, different social meanings uh, locally and also uh, in China or even globally as well?
2: That is an excellent question. So that was also the main focus of this book, right? And then, so I was really interested in how the social perceptions of Taiwanese Mandarin really changed over time, given different social, uh, given different social meanings and different contexts and power dynamics and all that. And then, so in the in the seventies, when China first opened up its, you know, uh, the country to the world, uh, they had this. A lot of po- cultural product, like we talk about, coming into into the mainland, and and then so for the first time, the the younger generation had exposure to the outside world, especially the the Chinese speaking community outside of China, and then so so they watched a lot of you know Taiwanese TV shows, you know movies from Hong Kong, music from both Hong Kong and Taiwan, and all that, and then so. So at the time, uh, Taiwan was a lot more economically more advanced than mainland China. And so people had this perception that, oh, this is how Taiwanese people speak. And this is how, you know, if you live, if you live a a very urban kind of style, this is how you would talk. And then so through the influence of media, uh, people formulate uh, this kind of, uh, perception of Taiwanese Mandarin and then so in a way me, uh, media really ha- builds this connection between uh, linguistic practices and also the language ideologies right and then so so they connect so through medias or the, the TV programs that they watched people Chinese people develop establish this kind of connection between the urban lifestyle and also the, you know, the weight of, of, of speech. And so people uh, start to have this, like, a perception that, oh, if you live in a like, urban kind of area, this is the way that you would talk. And then so, so people assign this, what we call social meanings uh, to Taiwanese Mandarin. And then so that was what happened in the 70s. And then so if you ask, so my experience in my research has been that uh, Wherever you ask people, you know, in their 50s or 60s, they will always tell you very positive things about Taiwanese Mandarin. They'll be like, oh, this sounds very nice and it sounds very educated. It sounds very cosmopolitan. And then that really represents a urban lifestyle. And we watch a lot of those, you know, Taiwanese dramas growing up. And then so we really love the accent. So this is a kind of the, that's a very typical response that I got. Uh, from my, you know, research participants uh, who are uh, in their 50s and 70s, uh, no, sorry, who are in their 50s and 60s. Uh, but if you ask the younger generation, so whenever I, I talk to the uh, the college students, they will always tell you, oh, Taiwanese mentoring sounds very feminine. Uh, it sounds... Uh, very cute, very polite, but in a way, I can't really take it very seriously because it just sounds like so so girly and babyish, right? And then so, so I found out that the, the perception of Taiwanese Mandarin really changed over time. And then so, so that really got me thinking, so what are the causes of those uh, attitudinal changes? And then, so I look at the media. I, I look at how people, you know, talk on media and how people, how those actors and actresses project themselves uh, on 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 TV, and also, uh, you know, those talk show hosts, how they host the shows and all that. And then, and I really found that over time, like we talked, people pick a lot of like speech, different speech styles. Uh, from, from, from the Japanese culture. And then we are becoming more and more influenced uh, in our popular culture uh, by the Japanese culture. And then so that people try to project this new persona and using a different weight of speech. And then they, they start, to, 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 start to, to incorporate this sort of like very cute style into their speech. And then so these days, if you watch TV shows, uh, you will really find found that uh, the way that people talk is already very different from how people talk, you know, 30 years ago. And then so media definitely plays a very important role in this this changing attitude. And then one thing that has also changed a lot over the last 30 years um, was the power dynamics between China and Taiwan, right? And then so... So, Taiwan is no longer perceived as this very urban or cosmopolitan place by the younger generation in China because they have all the, you know, all the crazy big cities, all the high rises, all the modern lifestyles now, right? And so, when they look at Taiwan, um, they no longer see Taiwan as this like very urban or cosmopolitan place. Instead, it is perceived more like a very cute little island. Um, or, you know, you know, a place where people are very friendly and polite. And then so, so those perceptions of Taiwanese people or Taiwan in general has also transferred into the way that they perceive the language. And then so over time with the power dynamics, uh, the changing power dynamics between Taiwan and China, uh, people also changed their perception of the way uh, the Taiwanese people talk. And then so, so media, uh, power dynamics and then popular culture. Those are some of the very important factors that I found in my own research that, uh, substantially influence the social perception of Taiwanese Mandarin by Chinese Melanders over time.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jingyi, for uh, touch upon this three uh, very uh, important and interesting dimensions. Mm-hmm. First is generational differences. You mentioned that your participant, uh, they will respond uh, or they perceived uh, Taiwanese Mandarin uh, very differently um, in their different age group. And then the second dimension, you also mentioned that this, um this interregional or this inter-Asian uh, network of cultural uh, uh, product circulation again you mentioned this kind of Japanese uh, soft power right and how that is very this uh, uh, popular uh, in Taiwan and also uh, other uh, uh, places in Asia as well so this kind of circulation inter-Asian circulation uh, network of circulation. And lastly, you mentioned this uh, kind of like contemporary cross-strait geopolitics, how that uh, changing power dynamics, I mean, you know, back in the 50s and 70s, Cold War, and now contemporary, how that changing, shifting uh, geopolitical uh, landscape also, uh, one way or another, you uh, shape the uh, perception, understanding, or even, as you mentioned, imagination or stereotype of Taiwanese uh, Mandarin. So uh, uh, you mentioned how uh, media shape and also circulate and popul- popularize uh, Gang Tai Chang in China. And I was wondering, can you uh, elaborate a little bit more about what uh, kind of media that you are talking about. So uh, I remember uh, in different uh, chapters, you mentioned about this kind of uh, talk show on TV, so on and so forth. But I was wondering, is there also like other trajectories, for example, like films or other uh, different cultural products in the uh, media uh, circulation?
2: Yes. Um, so in my study, I mostly just look at TV shows, but then not just TV shows on TV. So. So I was interested in any sort of platforms where you can watch those shows, right? And then, so the most important thing that we know about um, about media and language is we all, um, if you watch shows a lot of a lot, and then over time, there is a possibility that you will pick up those features that. Uh, that you think it's really cool, and that, or things things that you think very positively, and then so. But if you don't really like the show, or you think people, you know, the people that you see on TV is not are not cool, and then and then you have a very negative perception of the show. Uh, most likely, you won't pick up those features, and then so. So traditionally, in social linguistics, there is this um, theory called. Um, Speech accommodation theory. So the theory, speech accommodation theory, says that if you have face-to-face interaction with people, and then over time, you will pick up those features from the person or people that you are talking to, and that is what they call speech accommodation. Uh, But then... When it comes to media, a lot of people are very skeptical about this theory. They would be like, if you watch the TV show, you don't really interact with the people in the TV, right? So you don't really uh, interact with the characters in the show. And then, so how would you, would you still pick up features from the TV shows? And then, so, so my main argument was that if you, if you really like the show and that you have a positive attitude towards the show, and that eventually you will still pick up some features here and there from the shows that you watch, but then if you don't really like the show and you think it's very, uh, you know, dumb, stupid, and it's not, it's not, it's it's not perceived very positively um, by yourself. And then you will not pick up the features that you watch from TV. Uh so, so my 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 study has been focusing on TV shows. But the, it's not just TV shows on TV, but also if you can watch the TV shows from you know from different platforms such as you know on the internet or Netflix and a lot of other other platforms that, that you can watch as long as you can see the characters that, that sort of gives you the social contacts and then you can hear them talk. And then so, that, that, that's the media that I was interested in. And then so I look at it. So I, when I did my survey, I asked people like, you know, how how often you watch those shows, but then, not necessarily on TV, but also from the internet and from a lot of different platforms. So wherever you have access to those shows, dramas, or whatever, and then I would consider that a media platform that can have uh, a a potential impact on people's speech behavior.
1: Yeah, and then, especially you mentioned that it's not just about TV, right? Like cable TV, but nowadays, you know, we have the rise of digital media and also the internet as well. And then a lot of uh, different sources uh, here and there in internet. And uh, so, um, so uh, the accessibility, right? The accessibility and also uh, the uh, exposure of the Tony's Mandarin could be uh, through very different uh, variety of channels um, in everyday life. So uh, we talk about media, and then we also talk about language ideology uh, previously, and especially about how um, Taiwanese Mandarin is being perceived uh, by some, you it, it mentioned it's desirable, it seems to be this uh, educated or cosmopolitan profile uh, to the speaker. But you also mentioned for some people, it seemed to be quote unquote awkward, or it's uh, more like those uh, undesirable feature uh, in the uh, Mandarin uh, practice. So uh, with this uh, perception, from the uh, Chinese uh, people and I was wondering that because nowadays Taiwanese people actually consumed and watch a lot of uh, TV shows from um, China and then you know for all the dramas the talk shows and also variety shows. So uh, my question for you is that even though this may be uh, outside the scope of this book, but I'm interested to hear your, uh, your thoughts or maybe some observation that you can share with us that how the recent rise of Chinese cultural production and especially in Putonghua, how that impacts the practice, the speaking of Taiwanese Mandarin.
2: That that's a really really good question, Li Ping. Um, I I feel like there is also definitely a, like a reverse impact uh, on 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 Taiwanese Mandarin from from mainland China because just like you said, there are so many shows from China that people watch in Taiwan these days, and then so uh, so I feel like over time we will pick up. So I think I have already noticed a lot of the. The phrases um, or the pronunciations and stuff that is has been picked up by Taiwanese people, and then so I feel like over time, uh, there will be more and more features from Beijing Mandarin entering uh, Taiwanese Mandarin, and then so there is there is definitely this like reverse effect going on um, in Taiwan, especially on the way that we talk, and then so 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 definitely I have noticed that people pick up words such as uh what are some some of the very common words that we uh we will use that's from china uh, for example right and then so um uh, there are a lot of ex- other expressions that i i couldn't think of off the top of my head but that but then if you know if, if you pay attention to the life speech of taiwanese people and then you would definitely notice a lot of the phrases that are actually uh from china um through through media as well. So definitely that is happening more and more. I think like over time, uh, that will be uh, the, there will be more and more um, vocabulary or synthetic structures or or phonological features going into Taiwanese Mandarin from China.
1: Yeah, I, I think about one phrase that uh, 视频, So there, this this term uh, has appeared uh more and more. Especially now, we have all the digital media and social media platform. Uh, so what we call vi- video uh in Taiwan, and then some people start to use uh to refer to a video instead of in片 yeah so uh, but i think this is uh, definitely uh, one uh, great example to think about Taiwanese mandarin as a living language right so it's a living language people are using it that's why there's still this kind of different changes and uh, evolving as well still involving because it is a living uh, language and um so, uh, so with this uh, Taiwanese Mandarin and also perception, you mentioned this briefly uh, earlier as well. But I was wondering whether you can talk a little bit more about why or how is uh, Taiwanese Mandarin or the so-called Gangdai Chang specifically associated with cuteness or with this kind of cutified? Uh, cutified uh, pattern of speech, or in some context associated with 撒嬌, so how it seems that all these are sort of kind of like a feminine uh, sort of kind of like a profile to the uh, Taiwanese Mandarin speaker. So I was wondering, can you uh, talk about the association or a connection between the two?
2: Sure, definitely. Um, so I feel like a lot of the shows that people watch from Taiwan are idol dramas, right? And then so those idol dramas that essentially made for a female audience. And then so a lot of the times uh, the people talk or, you know, uh, it's catered to their female audience. And then so, of course, the, the girls want to be like really, really cute. And then the guys also want to be like really like mellow and, you know, Soft and caring, that kind of features, and then so so that really gives the language the characters as well. So it's not just uh, the characters; they have personalities. That the the, their personalities also transferred onto the language, and then so that is why I said that media really plays this role of formulating, but also fortifying this link, uh, semiotic link between. linguistic practices and the social ideologies. And then so by watching all those teamy dramas made for women, and then people over time pick up this kind of concept that, oh, Taiwanese people really talk in a very feminine way. Um, but, but it's mostly because of the, the genre of the shows that they watch, right? It's not that they have a very comprehensive exposure to different aspects of life of Taiwanese people. But they they only have this one very single aspect of, you know, Taiwanese lifestyle. And especially when those shows are made uh, specifically for women. And then, so people pick up this kind of like features that, oh, this is how, you know, women would talk. And this is how guys would would talk when they are talking to women and all that, and then so so over time, people have developed this perception that Taiwanese, you know, people talk in a very very feminine way.
1: Yeah, and then specifically uh, the uh, gendered perceptions of Taiwanese uh, Mandarin and also the speakers. Uh, as well and then uh, in your book you mentioned that this is uh, kind of this kind of new type of masculinity and you describe it as this kind of soft uh, masculinity Uh, associated with uh, cuteness or as a more feminine uh, element in their speech and so I was wondering can you talk more about how this new type of the uh, soft masculinity as it is associated uh, with uh, Taiwanese Mandarin how this new type of soft masculinity uh, reshaping or redefining the model of uh, masculinity or the masculine language in the Xenophon world. Okay,
2: sure. Um, so so towards the end of my book, um, I start to think, okay, so what exactly is considered feminine, right? So when people tell me, oh, your way of talking is very feminine, what exactly does they mean by feminine? What are the features or what are the characteristics of you know, femininity that they're talking about? And then so I, I started to do a lot of kind of research on femininity and also masculinity in different cultural contexts, right? And then so, of course, in different cultural contexts, there are different definitions of femininity and uh, masculinities, right? And then so, and so in, in Asia recently, there is this new uh, models of masculinity going on from the, from the influence of uh, K-pop. Um, the, the Korean popular culture, right? And then so so we saw we have seen a lot of those like K-pop stars uh, that you know they are male, but then they put on a lot of makeup and then they dress in a very uh, gender neutral way or what we call androgynous way, right? And then so and then so they become extremely popular uh, among the younger generation, and then they present a a, a very different type of you know fam, uh, masculinity they are considered very uh, they are considered uh, non-conformist right they are considered with this very youth youth um, independent non-conformist identity uh, and then so they become very very well accepted. By the younger generation, not by everyone, but then by the younger generation especially, and then so this kind of image also goes into a lot of the shows that we have, right, in Taiwanese uh, dramas. And so, so when so those guys would dress up like those K-pop star, or they have like the makeup, the hairstyle, or the uh, or, or, or the overall style it's very androgynous, at- 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 right? And then it's not considered so. I, when I look at a lot of studies by Korean scholars, they said it's not, it's not feminine. You know, making, putting on makeup for men is not a feminine thing, but it's a new ways of looking at uh, male identity. It's a new way of looking at what exactly is modern masculinity. Uh, And then, so this kind of new concepts or ideas really come in, come across uh, Asia not just into Taiwan but also into China Japan and a lot of um, East Asian countries and then so over time that those like Korean dramas and pop are are really reshaping how people perceive what masculinity is but then for people who are not yet influenced by this or people who are not acceptive uh, of this kind of influence they would see Taiwanese Mandarin or, or they would see this culture as you know being very feminine or being not like a man or you, you know, stuff like that. And then so so this new kind of masculinity is still changing how people think of what a man should be like, or what uh what uh, what is considered a masculine speech style, or what is considered a feminist. Uh, speech style, but then uh, we do not have a, a definite answer for that one yet because that is still changing uh, our perception over time. Uh, so towards the end of the book, I I kind of want to draw on this conclusion that our perception is really dynamic. Our perception of language is really dynamic. It's it's not only uh, it's not only the way that we talk, but uh, also it is in the social context. It is a uh, it is a lot about the social context, right? So how we perceive femininity, how we perceive masculinity, and those perceptions will transfer into the way that we perceive languages as well. And then so with this new type of new new type of masculinities and femininity coming into Taiwan and also into China, and then that are those new concepts of gender uh, are also reshaping the way that we look at our own and other people's languages.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jingyi. And especially you touch upon also, I mean, in addition to uh, J-pop and Japanese uh, drama, but also definitely K-pop and K-drama. That's uh, immensely popular uh, in Taiwan as well. So I definitely appreciate you mentioned that uh, the uh, connection uh, or consumption even of the uh, Korean culture uh, cultural products, and also uh, you mentioned this very important point in terms of how the language practice or language perception actually also reveal language ideology, and that language ideology is. Um, actually informed should be contextualized with the social context as well. And then you mentioned that this uh, masculinity and how it is being perceived with more like feminine features. And also, uh, I guess one way is also to think about this kind of like uh, the social context uh, is you know, one way or another, still kind of like the undercurrent is still this uh, heteronormativity uh, that to kind of like uh, categorize as masculinity and femininity, uh, but uh, in a way that, you know, nowadays it's a very diverse uh, 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 life. So I guess this is something that uh, when I hearing you uh uh, uh unpacking the uh gendered perception then i was thinking about the ideology and also i mean of course k pop and k drama as well all right um so uh thank you jingyi for uh sharing with us uh the uh the thoughts and some of the highlights from the book and uh so now um we are uh towards the uh last section for our interview. So, uh per our tradition, so I will be asking you the uh, traditional final question here at New Books Network. So, uh, uh can you share with us uh what you are working on right now or what's your uh, next project, your next plan will be? Mm.
2: So my uh, my next project will be looking at um, the role of gender in language acquisition. Um. So as a linguist and also a, a language instructor, I have always been really interested in how people acquire Mandarin as a second language. And so and then so more recently, um, after I finished this book project on Taiwanese Mandarin and how. Language media uh, language media and also genders are really influence the way that we perceive languages I want to look at how exactly uh, gender plays a role uh, in language acquisition um so I I, I I got my initial idea when I went to some of those um, language meetups in New York uh, so as you probably know that in New York there are a lot of different kind of meetups where people gather together for similar interests and, and and stuff like that. And and one of the very popular meetups um, is language meetups, right? And then so sometimes I go to those Mandarin meetups to meet with people and to practice Mandarin with them. And then so I found that there are um, different, different like communicative strategies that people would use at those meetups, right? And then so male and females, sometimes they use very different, you know, communication strategies when they approach you know, new people, when they approach people that, you know, they meet for the first time. And then so so the how they make their transitions of topics and how people, uh, where do people take pauses and where do people, you know, take turns to talk and all that. I, I feel like in ter- if you really look at their way um, of using those communicative strategies, you really find that men and women they take very different strategies when they talk to people and then as a result that also have a thing that also has an impact on the way that they acquire a, a foreign language and then so my next project, um, I was, I, I, I was really interested in how, you know, gender influenced the way that we acquire languages. So I was not, I'm not just looking at, you know, meetups in New York, but I also look at a lot of the migrant workers in Taiwan. And then so over the past 10 years, we have been getting a lot um, of migrant workers mostly female right from Southeast Asian countries working in Taiwan and then so they um, for them uh, they work a lot of them work as dom- domestic helpers in the family setting and then how they communicate with the family members how they communicate uh, with the kids with the grandmoms, or with the with the with the husband or with the wife Um is also very crucial to the to the to the study of gender in second language acquisition. And then, so as a female worker in a foreign household, what kind of communi- communicative strategy they take in order to communicate with the people that host them? And then, with that kind of strategies, how do they? Acquire Mandarin uh, over time without very little formal instruction. And then, so that would be my next step in my research, and then something that we're really, really interested uh, to find out more.
1: Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And especially the uh, migrant workers and also the uh, so-called new immigrants in Taiwan, Mm -hmm. um, they moved to Taiwan for work or for uh, many different reasons. I guess this is also partly related to what we mentioned earlier in terms of the diversity in Taiwan as well. Uh, The community composition, the uh, linguistic practice, but also, you know, for the religious practice, so on and so forth as well. And language is definitely one of the uh, very important feature for this uh, diverse uh, Taiwan. All right. So... um, that sounds good. And looking forward to your uh, maybe next book about this uh, project. Yeah, so uh, Jeannie, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to thank you, our audience, uh, for uh, listening to the end. And uh, so um, this will be uh, the uh, last part of our uh, interview for today and also for this year, 2021. So, <laughs> so I hope uh, everyone uh, take a good care and staying safe, and see you next time in 2022. Goodbye. Bye.